Hey listeners, I'm Sarah Devlin and I'm a news editor for Washington Square News. Uh, this will be our last podcast of the semester, unfortunately. And to celebrate our first semester podcasting, we're doing things a little differently this episode. Uh, first, uh, firstly, to start, me and Mac DeGarren, a deputy news editor, are going to be recapping and discussing the slew of NYU Abu Dhabi stories we published this semester. Um, so we'll go through all of the reporting we did on the issues, uh, talk about some of the questions and problems uh, that arose uh, through our reporting, um, and what all of that means for NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi. Um, our second segment will be more normal, where we'll have news editor Miranda Levingston and deputy news editor Sakshi Ben Katraman uh, discuss the um, graduate student walkout that happened on Wednesday, which was in protest of the tax reform that the Senate passed on Friday night. Uh, and some of the negative implica implications that thousands of grad students will face uh, nationwide because of it. Um, but first, uh, let me welcome Mac DeGarren to our podcast. Uh, Mac, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's good to be here. So let's just start by kind of walking through all the reporting you and our desk has done uh, this semester on NYU Abu Dhabi. Uh, what's happened in the past few months that's important? Yeah, so it's been a lot. We first started reporting on this, um, I think, in late September. We published our first article October 2nd, and it was in response to Professor Mohammed Bazi's op-ed piece that he wrote in the New York Times. Um, and in that, he was when he first said that he had his visa denied um, because of what he thought was religious discrimination. Um, he's a Shia Muslim, and uh, the UAE is a Sunni majority country. So we reported on that, and in our reporting, really in the success of reporting that came out the weeks later, we found out that this is kind of a trend that's happened in the Abu Dhabi campus of just issues that professors and faculty and student groups have had for years. Um, and I know you know a lot of the history of it. Maybe before we talk about this, you can just like kind of go into some of the more historic problems that Abu Dhabi's had. Yeah, so NYU Abu Dhabi was uh, the first campus that was part of NYU's uh, Global Network University, which was um, a web of colleges that could kind of transcend borders um, and that, you know, people across uh, different countries could kind of interchangeably go to those schools. Uh, it opened in 2008 um, under President John Sexton with the promise uh, that, it would adhere to, that it would adhere to all the standards and, uh, and norms uh, of Washington Square's campus, um, academic freedom included. Uh, that was actually specifically outlined in a 2007 email. Uh, to the NYU community from John Sexton. It's worth noting, too, that all those questions about academic freedom that he made clear, that Sexton made clear, they were in response to some significant backlash when, from faculty and professors when they were proposing Abu Dhabi's campus in the first place. I know Andrew Ross, who we've interviewed for several articles, um, was one of the lead dissidents who was, like, was very on the fence about having a campus being built in Abu Dhabi in the first place. Um, but they made Sexton and other people in the administration made some assurances to these groups, such as promising academic freedom and promising that student life would be similar to the way it is on the Washington Square campus. Yeah, and this is all taking place, uh, you know, a few uh, several years into Sexton's reign as president. Um, 
when NYU was really growing and expanding and kind of increasing its prestige on the national level. Uh, so NYU student body increased by about a thousand uh, students uh, in bet- uh, during Sexton's time as president. Um, he opened two campuses in different countries, one in Abu Dhabi uh, and one in Shanghai in China. Um, he expanded the number of study away sites that NYU had and kind of has really uh, raised NYU's profile uh, in the U.S., but also uh, abroad. So the initial agreement between NYU and the Abu, D- Abu Dhabi government was largely brokered by Khaldun Khalifa al-Mubarak, who's a really, really interesting person. Uh, he is the chief executive of Mub- the Mubadala Development Company, which is a construction company that's owned by uh, the UAE government, I believe. Um, he's also the chairperson of Manchester City, the English Premier League soccer team. Um, Isn't he on the board of Ferrari or something too? Yeah, I it's, think so. I think I saw that on his Wikipedia page. And he 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 actually uh, went. He did his undergraduate studies at Tufts uh, up in the Boston area. Um, he's a really interesting fellow. Um, so. I think, uh, if I was right, Mubarak was really, really um, uh, um, important in persuading uh, then-President John Sexton to build a campus in Abu Dhabi. Um, And he was part of the effort that eventually resulted in the Abu Dhabi government giving NYU a $50 million donation as a sign of goodwill or uh, whatever uh, whatever you think that was for. that they uh, Sexton and Al Mubarak were really, really, really influential in getting uh, NYU's Abu Dhabi campus um, not just approved by the government, but also literally built. Uh, the Mubadala Development Company was one of the main contractors in the construction of NYU Abu Dhabi's campus, and uh, as it came out later, there were just a slew of um, of labor issues that the campus faced during its construction. Um, 10,000 workers were excluded from uh, protections that NYU laid out specifically um, uh, that included uh, fair wages, fair hours, and um, appropriate living conditions. Um, So an investigation after the fact found that 10,000 people had those rights violated in some way. Um, And 30% of the workers on the NYU Abu Dhabi campus had their passports taken away. and all and all of these labor issues that and what that the NYU Abu Dhabi campus construction faced have been pretty well documented. There've been articles in the New York Times. Um, this group car, called Nardello uh, did a pretty uh, detailed investigation of everything that happened there. Um, and so, this this labor issue was really kind of the first high-profile issue that NYU Abu Dhabi faced. Which, in retrospect, is sort of insane because after that happened and those New York Times articles came out. Uh, the president, then President Sexton, did release a large email to the student body saying how this was against everything that they stood for and that it, they did not intend for this to happen. But pretty soon after that, the whole issue kind of went away. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, mean, we're we're not just talking about like you know, it wasn't you know, fifty people or a hundred people. I mean, this was ten thousand workers um, that really kind of faced uh, faced labor conditions that would be really, really, really outrageous um, in New York. And this kind of gets back to the point um, to, you know, NYU Abu Dhabi's kind of uh, initial promise, right, uh, was that everything kind of would be treated the same in Abu Dhabi 
uh, as it would as it would have in New York, right? Whether it was academic freedom or labor guidelines, um, there was a promise made by Sexton that all of this would kind you know that NYU Abu Dhabi would follow all the conditions that uh, NYU in New York did, and that just has been pretty clearly not true. It's pretty clearly not true, but it's also worth noting that there is, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, a distinction between some of the violations that are faced or some of the issues that people face getting to the Abu Dhabi campus and then the restrictions they have once they're actually there. Um, Most of what we've been reporting on in print has been about visa security denials, which affects people before they ever reach the campus. Um, But once you are there, a number of sources we've spoken to have made it clear that despite the Abu Dhabi government's restrictions on things like homosexuality or on drug use or alcohol use. Sex out of wedlock as well. A lot of things, right? A lot of things that on the book you can be charged for, not just charged for, but penalties like flogging or penalties like like, and these are on the books that they can happen. But sources we've spoken to in Abu Dhabi have said that it's not really that clear, that, that clear cut. If you are found drinking at Abu Dhabi's campus, then you're not going to go to jail and be beaten. You're not going to, you can still experience a lot of the same college experiences that you do here, but the laws don't necessarily apply to NYU students the same way they apply to, say, a migrant worker who is working in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, I think implicit in the contract between NYU and the Abu Dhabi government was that, um, there would be a kind of normal liberal college campus there and, you know, all the behavior that college, you know, that entails having college students around, right? Whether that's drinking and drugs or sex or whatever it is, um, I think uh, the Abu Abu Dhabi government at least implicitly knew. Um, But the the issue there is that it creates um, a lot of gray area. Um, You know, I think, Mac, you you did some reporting where... uh, NYU Abu Dhabi had someone kind of on call in case a student was found really drunk or passed out, you know, in an Abu Dhabi club or something, right? Yeah, from the source I spoke to, um, he told me that they would have, it was someone that used to be on the Abu Dhabi police force who was since retired but knew a lot of the connections and the people there, and he was kind of to serve as a handler to make sure that you know, if someone got too drunk out outside of that initial island that they're on, or if someone, you know, was found with weed or something else, then, like, he could kind of go through the necessary channels to get them out of that situation. Things like that where it's... It's kind of why it's important that we go through that history with Sexton, because this sort of one-on-one dealing that was made allows for these type of concessions to happen, right? There's not much transparency in the way of what went on in the talks between Mubarak and Sexton or what went on between like the the Emir of Abu Dhabi and Sexton, but we can assume that because it was such a direct line of communication that some of these things had to have come up. Now I kind of want to really drill down into uh, some of the reporting you've done, and specifically with regards to issues of academic freedom, because I think some people have said, well, you know, you know, your people are free to do whatever they want on NYU's Abu Dhabi campus, um, which from our reporting seems to be very true. Professors and students have been really 
uh, really outspoken about saying that uh, NYU, you know, within the confines of NYU Abu Dhabi, nothing is off limits. You can say anything you want about the government. Uh, you can write critically about the government. Um, you know, there there are no issues within the campus. Um, but where there are issues is getting to the campus. So I, I think Israeli citizens have had issues getting into the United Arab Emirates. Um, people of of who are Shia Muslim have had issues getting into that. And um, how does that how how does that kind of um, how does that dynamic play into the definition of academic freedom? I mean, I think both things are both things can be true at the same time. But you know, I think that makes you know saying whether or not the campus has you know academic freedom is a little trickier. Yeah. Well, something that critics of our writing have been very quick to say is that when they when they define academic freedom, it doesn't apply to freedom of travel necessarily. Um, now that's, I mean, you can say that's debatable because there's been a number of scholarly works written about academic freedom as a concept and it's, it's, it's you know, like any word, it's a flowing definition. But take that aside, one of the issues that I saw was it, it can affect people not just in the most basic visa denial because someone that we interviewed, um, Christina Bogos, she was a student, a graduate student, um, several years ago at NYU Abu Dhabi in the campus and was writing critically about, I think it was about labor conditions, or doing research that was critical labor conditions. And so she was already there and doing her work, and then several years later was trying to go to, I think, Qatar, and was placed on a blacklist like and she had since had that confirmed by the State Department that she was the U.S. State Department that she had been placed on a blacklist specifically because of her ideas that were contrary to the government. So that in itself, right, it takes several years for it to happen, and it's in a different country. But the end result is that this woman was punished for doing research that was contrary to the to the government. Another thing that Professor Bozzi mentioned was that by him not being able to go because he's a Shia Muslim, or he claims that he wasn't able to go because he's a Shia Muslim, you have a bunch of different um, you know, topics that are being discussed in the Abu Dhabi campus, whether it's like politics or history or any of these different studies. But the people, the voices that you're hearing are inherently sort of restricted because of the because of the politics of it. And so everyone can have good intentions and think they're having complete freedom of thought, but if you don't have the freedom of, if you don't have this diversity of people with different backgrounds that's there, that genuinely affects the way that you teach. So it's it's a lot more complicated than just it seems on face value. But I think, you know, from our reporting, I think it is fair to say that at NYU Abu Dhabi, does experience significant violations of academic freedom. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue of getting to the country is hugely important. And I mean, a lot of the criticism coming from people, you know, whether it be Bozzi in the journalism department or, you know, others, was that president, current president Andy Hamilton has been really, really outspoken about um, some actions that Donald Trump has taken, you know, with regards to travel bans, um, ending DACA, things like that. He sent out public uh, messages, statements, um, saying that you know NYU would do everything in its power to fight these decisions and that it will do its best to continue to support uh, students from students who are affected by uh, certain uh, national policies um, 
we've seen nothing like that from him um, on the issue of NYU Abu Dhabi, right? He hasn't issued kind of a public uh, email to everyone uh, outlining um, outlining his support for uh, affected professors and students, right? Um, he, he hasn't been outspoken. It's funny because he's never issued a public statement about this, but then at a university senate uh, meeting a couple weeks ago, he said that he had put out a public statement, but what it was was his private statement that WSN had made public. So it's this sort of thing where he's, you're right, he's not, it's, that's been one of the main criticisms from all these different groups has been not just that these violations occurred, but that the university isn't making a public stance on it, right? It's like sort of like dragging their feet along this whole process. The university would say, and this is what Beckman has said to me in my reporting and and other people That's have mentioned. NYU spokesperson John Beckman. Yes, John Beckman. I, said that the university will make a public response or a public email when it's something that's on a policy level affecting a lot of people in a general sense, but they aren't going to say something, come out against something when it's affecting individuals. And for all these different cases that have happened in Abu Dhabi, they've been clear that they view it as sort of a personal issue or a personal circumstance rather than an overarching theme. And, you know, whether it's the NYU Journalism Department, which severed ties with Abu Dhabi, Gallatin, um, the, but a number of different student groups, they all do not see it that way. And I think that's one of the biggest differences here. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that Khaldun Khalif al-Mubarak is on NYU's board of trustees. He is a high-level... Uh, government official in the Abu Dhabi government. Um, he has a lot of power within Abu Dhabi, the Abu Dhabi government. I mean, given that he almost, he seemingly single-handedly brought um, N- an NYU campus to uh, Abu Dhabi. Um, he has a lot of power, right? Um, and, you know, he has kind of direct uh, control and access to the government um, in Abu Dhabi, and he doesn't seem to really use it. I mean, if... Um, if the vice president of the U.S. of the United States sat on NYU's board of trustees, um, and you know Trump continued to to put out all these policies affecting you know immigrants from certain countries and you know taking DACA uh, away from people who've been here since they were five or six, um, I think there'd be a real issue with that. There'd be real tension there, and I think students would really call for said vice president um, to step down from the board or to do something about the policies. Um, but to our knowledge, it doesn't seem like um, there's been any dialogue between NYU and Mubarak um, on addressing any of these issues um, or that Mubarak has made any effort to kind of uh, do anything, uh, you know, to help out affected professors, right? And I mean, Mubarak also just has been completely silent um, when it comes to this. Um, I think if he said something along the lines of, you know, Abu Dhabi can't dictate the immigration policy of a single country, but um, I will do whatever I can to make sure that anyone within NYU who wants to come to NYU Abu Dhabi can. I think that would really do a lot to assuage uh, fears and kind of anxiety around NYU Abu Dhabi. But, you know, it's this. I think this lack of public um, acknowledgement and public redress um, 
has really, really hurt NYU and has kind of just, you know, muddied the waters even more. Well, yeah, I I completely agree. The transparency issue is a big problem. And that's why, you know, in the month since, there's been articles written in The Nation, there's been articles written in The New York Times, um, in AP, all of them are starting to kind of like smell, smell, like smell gas in the house, right? And part of the issue is that Mubarak, Mubarak hasn't done anything so far as we know. And the spokespeople we talk to say that it's a very specific phrase that people use when they tell us about what the university does, which is they take, they're using the proper and necessary channels, right? And when I spoke to Bozzi about this, he kind of agreed with the same thing, saying that it's possible that NYU is making some some headway into like these policies in Abu Dhabi, but there's no way to know, right? There's no way to know because all of this is so close. It's you know it's interesting because we I just recently did a piece um, about a 2012 policy that 2011 2012 policy that was in place in Abu Dhabi, where people who were Jewish or atheists who were applying for their visa um, to go to NYU Abu Dhabi couldn't identify as Jewish or atheist because when you selected what to put, it simply wasn't there. And it was required that you put something, right? And so this was a policy that was set forth that NYU would tell these people, well, just pick one of these other religions. So you had people, a bunch of Jewish students um, saying they were Buddhist, some saying they were Sikh. And then, of course, within six months, this policy that was a national, you know, affects everyone that's applying for a student visa was changed, right? And it was changed to allow for you to identify as Jewish, allow for you to identify as atheist. Now, when I spoke to NYU officials who were there at the time, you know, they they do not say that, yes, NYU had a major hand in changing this policy. They're not going to say that. But they, there was significant outcry from the NYU community in Abu Dhabi and NYU administration in general about that policy. So, you know, connecting the dots, is it that NYU can, like, make significant policy changes in Abu Dhabi? We can't know for sure, but it seems likely. Like you said, the high government officials and the board of trustees. I mean, it seems like they at least have some channels, some way to at least fix some stuff, right? Um, Even if it is kind of under the table and not done publicly. Um, let's talk about the Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute's decision to cut ties from Abu Dhabi. Um, you mentioned that briefly before, but, um, uh, in early November, I think, uh, because their, one of their professors, Mohammed Bazi, was unable to teach a class there, um, the Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute has just decided to completely sever ties with NYU Abu Dhabi, um, and that sa- in that same day, we reported that um, a, a group of Gallatin faculty voted overwhelmingly to um, to also kind of not not associate with NYU Abu Dhabi. Um, so there has been kind of serious pushback within the in- NYU, the institution, uh, from faculty and professors and uh, people of those like. But it doesn't, you know, that doesn't seem like it will bring about any particular change. Well, it might or it may not, you know, because there's only so much there's only so much weight that these these things can carry, you know, especially for the journalism department itself. Um, you know, it, it was members of the senior faculty that signed this petition or 
however you want to call it, that said that they were going to sever ties. But they also, you know, there's nothing binding that can stop one of their professors from talking to someone from NYU Abu Dhabi or from accepting a position, right? They just strongly discourage it. Um, now, it is a majority of their senior faculty that have done it. And so I think more than anything, it's these type of things are important because in order for NYU to, let's just be really simple, in order for NYU to make a public statement about this, acknowledging that this is a claim, we've shown that you need multiple news agencies, you need multiple like groups coming out. Like It takes a lot for them to be able to like kind of address this. And so it is whether or not an actual change happens in policy, the fact that NYU has or has not commented on the existence of these problems, that's like the major issue right now. It's worth noting that this Wednesday, the Review and Debate Society is hosting a debate um, about this kind of this greater idea of whether NYU Abu Dhabi was a good idea in the first place. Well, uh, Mac, thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, thanks for all your great reporting throughout the semester. Yeah, thank you. It's been it's been an interesting semester for sure. Um, we at WSN will continue to cover this story, uh, you know, in the semesters to come. Um, but for now, uh, we're going to have uh, Sashi Ven- Venkatraman on and Miranda Levingston to talk about. Uh, the tax bill that the Senate passed on Friday that will affect graduate students. Hey, it's Miranda. Thanks for having me, Sayer. Sakshi, tell me about the tax reform bill that the grad students were protesting on Wednesday. Okay, so basically there's a provision in the GOP tax bill that just passed the Senate on Friday night that impacts about 145,000 graduate students all over the country. So essentially, student tuition waivers um, will now be included in taxable income for graduate and PhD students. And what these tuition waivers are, are um, like waivers that grant um, students full coverage of tuition by whichever university they attend. Um, They basically can reduce or eliminate their their tuition based on um, what kind of work they do for the school. So a lot of grad students are teacher's assistants or research assistants. Um, They're not being paid directly, but because they're working these jobs, their tuition is covered by tuition waivers. So um, there was a walkout that took place in Union Square on Wednesday. I mean, it was one of several all over the nation um, for grad students protesting this new tax that um, will force a lot of them to abandon their degree aspirations. And um, the energy that graduate students had over this issue was was clear um, at the walkout, which I'm sure you can attest to as well. Yeah, so at the walkout, the mood was spirited yet tentative in some ways. Um, There were about 200 students there at capacity, students from six different schools, including Columbia, Rutgers, Princeton from Princeton, New Jersey, NYU, the new school, and the city of New York uh, public universities. There was a grad student there who had her toddler with them, um, and everyone I talked to kind of echoed the same sentiment, that if the tax reform passed, they would not be able to get their degree and continue to do what they love. Um, The... The protesters were chanting, tax the rich, not the poor. We won't be TAs no more. And as someone who can testify to having lots of TAs, this would affect undergrad students as well. Right. So um, there were several NYU uh, TAs, um, including PhD candidate Ella Wind, who says that 
her $40,000 tuition waiver, which is granted to her by NYU because she works um, for a professor, would be added to her taxable income, and it would end up increasing her taxes by around $6,000. And so what she was saying is that with this tax increase, she would no longer be able to continue working and studying at NYU if the bill became a reality. And um, that was kind of echoed by a lot of other graduate students at the rally as well. Students were saying that if they can't finish their degrees, the research that they've done thus far is now at risk of being taken as well. Jane Rosen, who got her PhD in biophysics in 1985 at NYU, said that she developed a new technique for studying um, a biological receptor in cancer research as part of her dissertation, and that her thesis advisor, a tenured member of GSAS, ended up removing her name from the study's byline, and the academic journal it was submitted to published it under the advisor's name. Rosen said this made her useless in the job market and made it incredibly difficult for her to um, achieve a job. And now that students won't be able to finish their degrees, their research is at high risk of being nabbed by other tenured academics. So this is an issue that um, not only impacts graduate and PhD students, but um, it's something that undergrads should care about as well, considering that all TAs are graduate or PhD students, which is something that the two of us can definitely attest to, having um, been in recitations that are led by TAs. Um, a mass exodus of TAs from campus could have a huge impact on how classes are run, especially classes with large lectures, um, because as you guys know, they're run um, with TAs doing the grading and leading the recitations. So it could make the job of professors significantly more difficult. And um, based on what some of the TAs at the rally told me, it could make classes a lot more exclusive and hard to get into because it's hard to have a class with 200 students in it if there aren't enough TAs to lead recitations for it. The tax reform passed in the Senate with a vote of 51 to 49 at 1.30 a.m. on Friday night, though technically Saturday morning and the grad students' concerns will soon become a reality. The tax reform was 479 pages, and the Republican senators sent around their handwritten edits during the hour that senators had to decide how to vote. Due to the rushed nature of the bill and the extreme tax cuts to the 1%, this tax reform is a pretty controversial one. The bill passed in the Senate, and now senators and House reps will be meeting in the coming days to reconcile the issues between the House bill and the Senate bill, to come up with a final tax reform and have the president sign off on. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Miratello, Mac DeGarren, Sarah Devlin, and Sakshi Venkatraman for providing content for today's podcast. And thanks to the staff of Washington Square News for a fantastic semester.